You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Pastor Paul Kern. Well, as our lead pastor says, your Bible ought to just fall open to Romans chapter 8 because we've been here the last two sessions, and this is going to be the last one in Romans chapter 8. Like I said, we're going to start with verse 18. So I'm just going to uh, read. You can follow along with me. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when we will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to this present time. And we believers also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. Can I have an amen? Especially those aches and pains, right? We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies that he has promised. We were given this hope when we were saved. Now, if we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something that we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows that the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Now we've seen in the, these last couple of sessions kind of a theme, a theme that's, that's played over for us and really talking a lot about being Spirit-led. That's kind of a charismatic term. You know, it's been around for a long time, and you hear it in charismatic settings, but being spirit-led. How many of you have ever heard that? I mean, you know, I, I just want to be spirit-led or led by the Spirit. And Paul's been using that a lot. As a matter of fact, chapter 8, verse 9, he said, he dwells in us. Talking about the Holy Spirit, verse 14, we are led by him. Verse 14 through 17, the Holy Spirit is an inward witness that we're a child of God and an heir of Christ Jesus. Verse 13, the believers enabled by the Holy Spirit to put to death the deeds of the flesh. And then verses 1, 2, 4, 10, and 13, the believer is the one who lives and walks after the Spirit. So we've just seen this reoccurring theme. And the reason I wanted to point that out is, is, is we're doing this study, church, and, and we're doing a kind of a well, we're not supposed to be doing a verse by verse, but I kind of got caught up in the verse by verse, and it's just, Romans 8 is so good, it's hard to go through fast. But I want you to understand is we're, we're, we are intellectually studying the Word of God, we're, we're looking at it and kind of breaking it down, but the Christian life is not just an intellectual pursuit, and we understand that we're justified by faith intellectually. Now, we need to understand that we're justified by faith intellectually, but but the Christian life is a life that is influenced and empowered by the presence of God's Spirit in our hearts. It's a relational walk with Father God, Jesus Christ, His Son, and the Holy Spirit who is here with us and dwells in us. So we've got to understand that, and I just want to make sure that 
as we're studying this, that although we are, you know, assessing our minds and and I think that's a very good thing. The Bible says in First Peter to, you know, be a workman who can show themselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth. So I think that's very important. But at the same time, it's very important that we understand that Christianity is more just, just an intellectual ascension to truth or facts. It's the spirit moving in our lives. Now, we're going to talk about rewards in this session. Everyone wants to talk about future rewards. It goes right along with what we talked about in the last session. Everyone sees the benefits, but they're blinded to the cost. And that's why credit cards are so dangerous, right? We see the benefits, but we are blinded to the fact that the bill is coming. Got a really funny story, my niece, and hopefully she won't be watching this podcast. It was a long time ago, if you are, I'm not holding it over you. Uh, but she, when she went to Baylor, you know, that was kind of the back in the day when they just started uh, going around campus and trying to get everybody to sign up on a credit card. You didn't even have to qualify. You know, she's getting on a credit card and they walked up to her and said, hey, you've, you've pre-qualified for a $500 limit on your credit card. Would you like to get one? She was like, well, yeah, because in her mind, she thought she had free $500 and she immediately went and charged $500 on her credit card only to find out that it wasn't free. It, it was 25.99% interest for the next many, many months until her $500 that actually turned into about $1,200 got paid off. And so, you know, we don't think about that. We don't think about that. I remember uh, our son Clark, when he got into his first relationship, he got into his first relationship and um, it was a, a, you know, a young woman that went to our school and they were just, they had been friends for a very long time. And it was just kind of one of those things, you know, well, we think that we want to do this. We want to have a relationship. And they got into a relationship and they were in it for, oh, a couple of weeks. And I remember Clark coming to me and he said, dad, relationships are a lot of work. You've got to talk to girls all the time, like every night. You have to talk to them. And I said, yeah, you do. And, you know, it's just another example of not counting the cost. You know, we tend to overlook the cost when we're dating somebody. You know, we see all the, whoo, you know, and we're blinded by love. And then, you know, we get into the relationship and we realize, wow, this is, you know, it takes a lot of work. And as Christians, we need to see both. You know, we've got to recognize both sides. Verse 18 says, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. Now is nothing compared to later. Can I have an amen? Now is nothing compared to later, but we're still living in the now. So we have to wake up to the now every day. I have to wake up every day to the now. I've got responsibilities. I have bills. I have work. I have all of these things that are in front of me. So we can't get caught so caught up in the later that we're blindsided by the now, but on the other hand, we can't get so caught up in the now that we forget about the later. And I think we all kind of vacillate between one and the other, trying to find that middle ground that, and that balance that is very hard to do as we are looking forward to our future reward with God. It's amazing to me how many people can't focus on the reward. And the reason is because the reward is later. It's just hard to focus on a reward that is coming later. Nothing that we're going through now can compare to the reward, the scripture says, that we are going to receive later. So whatever it is that you're facing now, the Bible says that it cannot compare, it pales in comparison to what we will receive later. There's an old saying, pay now, 
play later, play now, pay later. You know, and once again, there's two extremes that we oftentimes tend to fall into. These verses give us the key or the theme to the passage. These passages all speak of a future reward. Verse 18, the glory which shall be revealed. Now he's talking about a future glory. He's talking about a future hope. It's not something that we're experiencing right now at this present time. What's he talking about here? Well, he's, he's not just saying that, that heaven is just a place that's better than hell. That's not what he's saying. He, you know, we're going to be different there. Very different there. Everything's going to be very different in heaven. And then when God redeems the earth and the city of God comes down out of heaven and God establishes his kingdom in the new heaven, in the new earth, it's going to be really different in many ways. Now, we don't have a lot of these specifics, but we do have generalities and we do have types and shadows that the scripture talks about. And one scripture I can uh, give you is 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. 1 John 3, 2 says, Dear friends, we, already, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure, just as he is pure. So he's talking about three future rewards that as believers, we're going to receive as we have put our hope and our faith in God's son, Jesus Christ. So let's look at this. Verse 19, verse 19 talks about the, the manifestation of the sons and daughters of God. God's going to reveal who his children really are. Verse 20 talks about this also. Now, this passage doesn't mean who they really are, like separating sinners from saints. That's not what's being implied here. Paul's talking about understanding our full potential. And y'all probably heard this said at least once in your lifetime. You know, a lot of scientists say that we only access about you know, 10% of our brains, the other 90% we're not actually tapping into and, and really, really using. And as you get older, I hate to say it, I think that kind of diminishes, at least that's been my experience. But, you know, we, we live in a, in a world of sin. We are awaiting the development and the benefits of being sons and daughters of God, but we are in a world of sin, and because we're in a world of sin, we're exposed to the consequences of sin, trials, tests, hardships, suffering, problems, temptations that try to pull us away from the plan that God has for us. And even though we have evidence here that we are sons of God, we wait for a time that we will be fully delivered from our carnal flesh. And when we talk about carnal flesh, you know, the thing you want to do, you don't do, and the thing you don't want to do, you find yourself doing. That's the carnal flesh. That's what we're talking about. But at that point, we're going to enjoy the privileges of being God's kids. Now, when we think about the privileges that we enjoy with our earthly families, and it's awesome, there's privileges that we enjoy with our earthly families, there's going to be a whole lot more privileges that we're going to enjoy with our heavenly father and our heavenly Family. Now, we're given a glimpse of this in Revelations 21. Everybody go there. This is really good, and I don't want to pass over this. Revelations chapter 21. 
verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and, he, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. Wow. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Can I have an amen? No more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. Praise God. All these things, listen to this, are gone forever. That don't get you excited, your wood's wet. And then the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues came and said to me, come with me, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. So he took me to the spirit, to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and it sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper, as clear as crystal. The city was as broad as it was high with 12 gates guarded by 12 angels and the names of the 12 tribes of Israel were written on the gates. There were three gates on each side, east, north, south, and west. The wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates and its walls. And when he measured it, he found that it was square, as wide as it was long. In fact, its length and width and height were each 1,400 miles. So see, we already know how big the city of God is going to be when it establishes itself on the new heaven and the new earth. The wall of the city was built, the foundation stones were laid with 12 precious stones, first jasper, sapphire, a gate, emerald, and we're just going to go through all those, go to verse 21. The 12 gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl. That's a whopping pearl right there, boy, I'd like to see that oyster, man. And then the main street was pure gold, as clear as glass. I saw no temple in the city for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb were its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon for the glory of God illuminates the city and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed and at the end of the day because there is no light uh, there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry or dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Wow. See, who we really are and what we are entitled to will be manifested. And the scripture gives us a glimpse of what this looks like. Now, we can't comprehend fully God's blessings. We can't fully comprehend the new bodies that we're going to be given. And the reason is because we all have fallen minds and we all fall way short of being able to comprehend what heaven looks like. It's kind of like trying to describe what an orange tastes like to somebody who's never eaten an orange, right? You do the best you can, but really until you bite into that sucker, you just don't know. 
It's tangy. It's, it's, it's juicy. It's wet. It's sweet. It's delicious. Okay, that sounds really intriguing, right? But you don't really know until you actually bite into the orange. And so we can't know until we actually see this with our own eyes. We will realize our full potential for the first time. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Now we see things imperfectly as in a poor mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but when then, but then I will know everything completely just as God knows me now. The second thing I want you to see is this, in this future reward is our liberty as children of God. We're going to be liberated, literally liberated, freedom from death and decay. We're not going to have to worry about that or deal with that ever, ever again because of what Jesus has done. Verse 22 of Romans 8, it says, For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Life's not easy. Life's tough sometimes. And not only that, life takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work to get what you want, and it takes a lot of work to keep what you want. You know, this past weekend, we were up pressure washing apartments and trimming hedges and pulling up weeds and and painting and cleaning and doing just to maintain what I have. Things just don't stay or get better naturally. Amen? You got to maintain them. See, the curse caused every great reward to be tough. That's what the curse did. If you're going to have something great in this world, you're going to have to fight for it. And once you get it, once you gain it, you're going to have to fight to keep it. Whatever it is, peace, joy, happiness. You're going to have to fight to get it, and you're going to have to fight to maintain it. Now, the example that he uses is childbearing, okay? And I'm not an expert on this, thank God. Uh, But you women know exactly what I'm talking about that have had a child. Any parent will tell you, though, that probably the greatest possible reward that you can receive here on earth is a child or two child child's children or 10 of them what well, I don't know about 10 I don't know so I, well, I mean I guess for some people not me <clears throat> but parenting is challenging physically it's challenging emotionally it's challenging spiritually parenting is not for cowards you got to be tough if you're going to parent so see we all bear the burden of being released from the carnal nature and the struggle that we wage in the spirit against our carnal nature. See, we all come under that. The struggle is not wasted, though, because it's like the struggle of childbirth. I mean, once the child comes, moms, you forget about the pain because the joy of the new life that is there in your arms, and it will be the same for us. Once we pass from this life into the next, that struggle, and, it, and, and you know, even leaving this world, even dying is a struggle, but then you enter into the glory that God has for you. So the struggle isn't wasted. Verse 23, it says, and we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adoptive children, including the new bodies that he has promised. The third thing that I want us to see is the redemption 
of our bodies. So the redemption of our bodies, I'm talking about physically, we're going to be made new. Now, we get a glimpse of what, I guess probably the best example I can give you. Okay, has anybody ever used like Microsoft Word or Microsoft Office? All right, so there's been a lot of itinerations of Microsoft Office. I mean, I I can't remember, golly, I've been using Microsoft Office for a very long time. So I've been through many itinerations of it. But let's just look at it this way. So Microsoft Office, you know, when they come out with, you know, Office 2003 and then Office 2007 and whatever, you know, now we're way up there. Well, it's all Microsoft Office. If you were to open up Microsoft Word, the very first edition, and you opened up Microsoft Word today, the latest version, they would look similar. The difference is, is that the newest version has a whole lot more to it it can do a whole lot more. It works a whole lot better. So when you think about your new body, it's kind of like body 1.0 and body 2.0. They're going to be very similar. You know, I believe, and you can take this for what it's worth. I mean, I'm not saying that this is like the gospel or anything. This is, well, according to Paul, I guess it is. Um, and not that Paul, this Paul. <laughs> no confusion. <clears throat> But I, I, I really believe that, you know, in the new heaven and the new earth, we're going to eat, we're going to work, we're going to play, we're going to enjoy life. I mean, you think about a city coming down out of heaven and, and establishing itself on earth. Well, what do you do in cities? You go to parks, you go to work, you live life, you eat. It talks about sitting at the table with the lamb, eating a meal. So, hey, you don't even have to worry about cholesterol. It's great. You eat all the sugar you want. Surely there'll be sugar in heaven. Please, God, let there be sugar in heaven. Just not bad sugar, bad for you sugar, just like all natural good stuff. So physically, we'll be made new. Physically, we're, we're going to get a new body. It's going to be so much better. The complete recovery of the body from decay and death and corruption. We're going to be blessed with immortality And we're going to have bodies that are designed to live forever and never, ever, 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 ever wear out. Wow. No sickness, no disease, no physical imperfections, no zits, no hair loss. Oh, oh. that's the one thing I'm waiting for, let me just tell you. Uh, Just a flowing flock. I'm going to ask Jesus to give me a good one and sling it around like I see all these other young people doing. No crooked teeth, no death, no soreness, no fatigue. Now, how are we going to respond to this future glory? Well, verse 24 and 25 says, we were given this hope when we were saved. Now, if we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something that we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently for it. The question is, are we willing to wait for the best thing or are we going to settle for what's here? Well, you'll settle for what's here if you forget what's coming. If you don't forget what's coming, then it's worth waiting and, and bearing up under whatever you need to bear up under to receive the prize that you're waiting for. It's definitely worth the wait, but how can we do it? How can we Win over the world in the flesh. Well, there's only one way. Look at verse 26 and 27. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. 
For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. So what's the answer? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the answer for us all. All right, look at verse 28. It says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. In other words, Jesus is the prototype. Jesus is the the one that we're all fashioned after. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them the right, right what? Right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them... Wow, his glory. We get to share in the glory. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, help me, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dare accuses us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything, anything separate us from the love of Christ? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble? Our calamity. Now, see, he's showing us what love is, and we don't lose sight of what love is because sometimes it's easy to lose sight of what is when you're going through something hard. So, he wants you to know that God loves you even though you may go through something hard. Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or we're persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing, 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 nothing can ever separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus, neither death nor life angels nor demons, fears for today or worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Wow. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation ever will be able to separate us from the love that God has revealed in Jesus Christ our Lord. And I mean, we could just close our Bibles and go home and sleep great tonight. Amen. Let's give God a round of applause. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Man. So verse 28 says, all things work together for our good. It doesn't say all things feel good. It doesn't say always th- things always turn out good. It says God works all things for our good. Now, some people misunderstand these verses. And, you know, they say, one, that, you know, for example, all things work together for our good. Okay, who's he talking about? Well, he's talking about all believers. Okay, because it says all things work together for the good to those who, 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 who? Those who love God, who's that? Us, believers. 
Now, it's important that you understand this because there's no such thing as a Christian that doesn't love God. So we're not talking about a special group of Christians. You know, you're the special group that it's all gonna work together for you. But for me, I'm not the special group of Christians. I'm just the normal, you know, group of Christians. No, he's not talking about a special group. It's it, who? All, all believers. If you're a believer, you love God. Them that love God. It's just another way of saying Christians, Okay. So I want to make sure there's no confusion there. All things work together for the good to those who love God and called according to his purpose. What is promised? Well, to them that love God, all things work together for your good. All things do not work together for some blind faith or happenstance. This verse simply states that God works all things ultimately together for our good. Amen? For our good. Now, I hear people say, God's in control. And I've heard people get on to pastors for saying God's in control because they say God's not in control, we're in control. Well, ultimately, God is in control. I mean, ultimately, God, you know, the buck stops with someone, right? There's always the big chief. God's the HHH. You know what that is? He's the head honcho of heaven, right? He's the HHH. And then we're all the little... H's that are running around doing his work. So God's in control, but not like a puppet master controlling strings and controlling all of our movements and everything that we do and everywhere that we go. Not that kind of control. God guides like a father in son relationship, a good father. God guides and directs. He leads. He shows us. He speaks his will to us. So it says, all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Why? Why does he work all things for the good? Because that's his purpose. The reason God works all things together for the good is because God is good. You guys got it? Remember what Jesus, that guy was talking to him, he says, you know, good master. He said, why do you call me good? Only God's good. You calling me God? right? God's good. The essence of God is good. God doesn't love. God is love. God doesn't act good. God is good. That's his essence. That's who he is. So God's purpose is good. God's plan for us lies behind his providential control of circumstances in our lives. Everyone is created in the image of God and given specific gifts by God in order to fulfill his good purpose for us in the earth. And you can't fulfill God's good purpose if you're not submitted to him. That's why it's important that you give your life and heart to Jesus and you can be submitted to him. So I remember when I wasn't submitted to him and I was miserable. Now I may act it like I was happy around my friends, but at night when I laid my head down on my pillow when I was all by myself in the darkness and I got lonely and quiet, I realized I was empty and miserable. I just drowned, tried to drown out all that silence with noise in my life. See, before we're saved, we're merely a perversion of God's purpose. Our gifts and callings are still there because God gave them to them, but they're without repentance. And so you're dangerous in that situation. You know, all of those giftings and stuff God gave you, the, the enemy can tweak and use for evil instead of you submitting that and God using that for good. So two requirements, love God 
and called according to his purpose. If your heart's not right, the, the whole thing isn't going to work out right. Amen? It's just not going to come together. But when our heart's right and we're submitted to God, we can walk in his purpose, and then we can know that ultimately God's going to work all things for our good, even difficult things, even hard things that we may have to face and go through. Now, God's sovereign, and this is very hard for us to grasp because we have little peanuts up here compared to God's wisdom and brilliance. And we talked about this in the last lecture, that suffering can be a good thing. Now, nobody enjoys it, but it can be beneficial. Now, let me remind you of James, James 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testament of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work that you may be mature, complete, and lacking nothing. So experience can be a hard teacher, but it makes you strong. Amen? And we've got to be tough. Jesus had to be tough to go through what he went through. Suffering makes you tough. Suffering enables you to share in the glory, okay? If you suffer lifting weights, if you suffer exercising, if you suffer doing karate, amen, then you will experience glory on the other side of that. Whatever it is that you're, if you suffer raising your children and instilling good things, you ultimately will experience the blessings of that. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through what? Christ who strengthens me. So even though it's tough, God says, look, I've given you this power. I've given you this help. I've given you my Holy Spirit so that you can face anything in your life, no matter how tough it may be, you can face it. You can overcome it. So as a believer, you have to be tough. We've got to learn to grow from life's hard experiences. And you're either going to get bitter or you're going to get better. How many of y'all heard that term? And it's true because it's your choice. It's your decision. You'll either be a victor or you'll allow life to make you a victim. And the quicker that you learn from a test, the faster you pass it and you get to go to the next one, right? That's the way it works. And so we want to make sure that we're learning and growing. I want to end with this verse 35 through 37, talking about nothing can separate us from the love of God. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have calamity or trouble or hardships or we're persecuted or hungry? Does that mean we don't have faith or we lack faith if we go through hard things or, or we struggle destitute, in danger, threatened with death. I mean, all of the men and women of God in the Bible. You know, we read Hebrews chapter 11, and we see them doing great exploits in faith, but we also see them being martyred and killed. They didn't even receive the promise. They saw it from a distance, but that's still faith. Now, as we look at God's love, and in the previous verses I've said, God's on our side, God's justified us, God's got these awesome goals for us. He's in control of the circumstances. But the question is, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And Paul makes this partial list, all these things that he himself experienced. Tribulation, distress, persecution, hunger, 
nakedness, peril, danger, threatening men and circumstances, sword, the, the executioner's sword. Remember, God was watching over Paul and God is watching over you. God is watching over your life, growing you into who he wants you to be and who he wants you to be is an image of his son. And the way that God does that is God reveals his love to you and his love carries you through no matter what you face. I want to close with this last verse. Verse 39. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen? Amen. You guys stand with me. Let's give God a hand clap. I always like to give God some glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you, God, for your plan. Thank you, God, that you have a mastermind and a master plan, and you have a future glory reserved for each one of us. God, help us to remain faithful. Help us to keep our eye on the prize, and may your love that we can never be separated from, no matter what, God. May that be the thing that empowers us every day. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to the CMC Podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.